The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And when he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in kings' courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of God has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. So here at Fountain of Life, we've been walking through Luke's gospel. So Luke has given us this account of Jesus in his life and what's going on. And our next passage uh, in line is this one, where it spotlights John the Baptist. And what we're going to see today is Jesus engaged with three kinds of people. We're going to see Jesus engaged with three kinds of people. The first person he's going to engage with is someone who's doubting. And what we, what we mean by that is that somebody wants to trust him, but who is really struggling with a certain issue. What Jesus engaged with is a skeptic. This is somebody who's not going to believe it doesn't matter what happens, okay? They don't want to. Uh, they're, they're, very, they're, they're salty towards Jesus. They're not going to trust him. They're kind of hostile to him. So you got the doubter, you got the skeptic. And then the third person we're going to see today is the one who's turning to him, trusting him, believing him, uh, kind of submitting to him, following him. So you've got the doubter, the skeptic, and the follower. What's surprising about this story is, well, let me give you the characters in more detail. Let's see, one of them is John the Baptist. Who's he? He's a prophet, right? Another one, it's the Pharisees. Who are those folks? Religious leaders, good people. Uh, they're always participating in the religious uh, activities. And then the third group of people is the tax collectors. And uh, if you don't know anything about them, those are the really bad, bad people with hairy sins, like the 
They betray their people. Uh, we despise corrupt. So if I've got three audiences, I've got the, the doubter, the skeptic, and the follower, and then I've got John the Baptist, the Pharisees, and the tax collectors, which one do you think is going to be which? So if you just came in without knowing any better, you might say, well, the, the follower would be John the Baptist. After all, that's the prophet. And then you'd say, well, the doubter, maybe that's the Pharisees, because they know the Bible and they love God, but this whole Jesus thing is shaking them up, so it's difficult for them. So maybe the Pharisees are the doubters, and then we, we know what the tax collectors are, right? Those are, the, those are the skeptics. And then as we read this passage, we would see if we had those expectations, we would all be wrong. It doesn't line up. It's, it's surprising. And so Luke is giving us this really surprising account. We're going to see Jesus respond to these three kinds of people, but the kinds of people aren't who we thought they were. And so what that does for us then is it, it makes us ask the question, it makes me ask the question, which one of these is like me? Which one of these am I like them? How would Jesus respond to me? What's Jesus saying to me in my life right now? And as we do that, I promise, by the time we get to the end of it, we'll be like, oh, that's why we're doing baptism today, okay? That's why we're doing baptism today. But let's begin. First of all, Jesus is going to deal with the doubter. You jump right into verse 19, and you see John's disciples come with a question. And did you see what the question was in verse 19? Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? That is an amazing question for John to ask. If you've read Luke's gospel, you saw the beginning of his book. What was John out there proclaiming? Jesus is the one who is to come. That was what his whole ministry was about. And now it's the question John is asking. Are you really the one who is to come? What has happened to have this guy so shaken? You remember the background, right? They, Jesus and John were really working together to fulfill the prophet Isaiah and his promises. And Isaiah promised, hey, God's going to come and to liberate his oppressed people. But before God comes, he's going to send a prophet to prepare the way. And then John was here saying, and Jesus said this about John, John is the prophet to prepare the way. Do you remember how he prepared the way? Well, he's John the, the Baptist. So the way you get ready for God to come is you repent. You, you turn. And so it would be very humbling for a religious Jew to get baptized because that's what the dirty Gentiles have to do to come to, to God. And so you then, if you're going to get that baptism, you're saying, I'm just as bad as they are. You're saying, I can't rest on my own goodness to make me right with God. I need his mercy. And so it was humbling for people to do that. So the people were going out to John to hear him and get baptized. That's the way that he was preparing them for God to come. And of course, who is God that has come? It's Jesus. This is the one who's going to save God's people. He's going to bring justice. He's going to renew the world. And now John is asking, man, are you even the one? Are you even the one? By the way, why does John have to send his followers? How come he can't come himself? Because he's in prison. You think this has anything to do with his doubting? I think it has everything to do with his doubting. John has been calling out Herod for being corrupt. And Herod put John in prison. And very soon, John is going to lose his head as a party favor, literally. And so you, you be John. And you think, hey, my cousin, okay, literally, is, is the son of God who's going to come and bring justice. And now I'm in prison for being faithful. 
And I'm hearing all this stuff Jesus is doing, all these miracles, and I'm sitting here going, so if you can heal the paralytic and you can preach the truth, I'm sitting here going, anybody waiting? What are you waiting for? Bust me out. Let's go. You said you were going to bring justice. You, you said this, so here I am. I'm your guy, right? I'm your guy. When are you going to do this? And you can feel it, can't you? And John sits in there long enough, and it hurts long enough, and he's hungry long enough, and he's alone long enough, and he sees death coming long enough, and he goes, is this even real? Can anybody relate to John? Can you relate to John? If you can't relate to John, you haven't been a Christian very long. I think anybody who's been a Christian for longer than about 45 seconds can relate to John. John is doubting because his expectations on, what, on, on, what he, on the way he thinks his belief should work aren't coming to pass in his circumstances. His expectations aren't coming to pass in his circumstances. And I, for one, I'm so glad for this surprise that the one who's doubting is the prophet. Because if the greatest prophet ever can doubt, that's what Jesus calls him, if the greatest prophet ever can doubt, then what does that give permission uh, for, for me and you? God's not afraid of your doubting. He's not scared of your doubting. He's not threatened by your doubting. Jesus doesn't throw John out because of his doubts. In fact, I want you to see um, how Jesus responds to him. Jesus then says to John, well, first, before he talks, verse 21, it says, In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. So here's John's followers coming, and they're like, Are you the one? And Jesus is just, you know, hold up. Well, bam, however it works. I don't know. I wish I could have been there for that one, right? Wow, just mass healing, and the, and the disciples of John are just going like we all would be. And then Jesus says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus is showing John's followers evidence, and then he's telling John, hey, remember our book, Isaiah? Guess where Jesus is quoting from? Isaiah. It's still true, man. It's still true. Look, here's the, what does Jesus give him? Evidence. Jesus gives him evidence. One thing I want you to see if you're a doubter or for when you're a doubter. Did John just sit in prison and get angry? What did he do with his doubt? He asked questions. He sought. He looked for answers. He didn't sit alone. He sent his followers to go ask hard questions. Are you the one? He went and asked a hard question. Hey, church, don't you want to be the kind of people, the kind of place where we welcome hard questions? We welcome hard questions. If you have hard questions, I, I, I want you to have hard questions. I have hard questions. We should try to work these out together. But if you have questions, don't just think there's no answers and stay by yourself. No, if you're doubting, seek. Seek. And you see that when you seek, Jesus gives evidence there is evidence, there's answers to these questions. He not only gives evidence, he gives encouragement. Look at verse 23. Jesus says to John, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. We all get a little offended by Jesus somehow, right? Our circumstance doesn't line up with our expectation. Or, or maybe something he's demanding isn't something we immediately wanted. But he says, listen, to, to be offended by him would be like, well, I'm out, I'm done. And he says, if you stick with me, if you trust me, maybe I won't, 
maybe I'm not giving you what you wanted in the way you wanted it, but if you trust me, blessed are you. And that you'll be satisfied. I will satisfy you. Then Jesus has promised, if you trust me through these doubts, I will come through for you. I will satisfy you. I will be there for you. Don't you love that about Jesus? So how does Jesus respond to the doubter, the prophet? He gives him evidence, and he gives him encouragement. Maybe you're the doubter. Hey, seek him today. Now let's look at the skeptic. So Jesus uses this opportunity. There's all these people here. He uses this opportunity because now John's followers have come, right? So John the Baptist is now at the issue, right? That's what everybody's thinking about here in these crowds, John the Baptist. And so look at what Jesus says about John in verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. So uh, what does Jesus think about John? <laughs> you can't, can't give higher praise. And he even says to everybody, hey, what'd you go out into the wilderness to see? Right? You weren't there to connect with nature and put bird pictures on your Instagram. What'd you go out to see? You didn't go out to see uh, celebrities. You went out to hear a prophet. And everybody there is like, yeah, that's right. They went out to see John in masses. And so now the question comes up. Well, if, you, if he's a prophet and that's why you all were there, how did you respond to his message? What'd you do with it? Now Jesus wants to talk to the skeptics, look at verse 29. When all the people heard this, the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So who are the surprising skeptics? It's the religious people. It's the Pharisees. They knew the scriptures, they went to synagogue, they, they obeyed all the rules with zeal. They saw themselves as good people. They didn't hang out with bad people. But here the text says they're rejecting the purpose of the God they claim to love. Do you realize how strong that is? God wants to do something and God's people evidently are like, no. Look what Jesus, what, what would Jesus say to these skeptics? What would he say? And you see Jesus tell a little story, look at verse 31. To what then should I, shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like kids sitting in a marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute, you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, you didn't weep. Okay, what's going on here? You ever seen little kids play? What are they gonna play? They're gonna play something that they've seen the adults in their lives do. Okay, they're gonna pretend like they go to, to, to work like dad or to work like mom. Well, what do these little kids see all the time in the marketplace? When there's nothing going on in the marketplace and the kids are there playing, what, what have they seen there? What are they going to play? Well, there were two major events for every, every village that would happen in the marketplace. One would be a funeral. When there was a funeral and somebody died, it, it, was, it was way bigger for them than it is for us. The whole village comes out. It's a several-day kind of thing. Everybody's mourning, weeping, and there's music playing, and you're weeping and you're crying over this. So guess what kids are going to play sometimes? funeral. The other big event for the village was a wedding. And again, they go way bigger than we do. It's days and days and days and it's feasts and feasts and feasts and everybody's singing and we celebrate. And guess what the kids sometimes are going to play in the market? Wedding. Okay. So, so Jesus says, and you guys are such, such skeptics. Can I tell you what you're like? Well, I don't know if they said yes or not. He's going to tell them anyway. Okay. Can I tell you what you're like? Maybe you remember a friend like this when you, when you were a kid. Or maybe you were this kid, God forbid. 
okay? So all your friends are like, hey, let's play, uh, let's play wedding. And they throw on, on the iPod, right, some rock songs. Let's play wedding. And you're like, no, nah, I don't want to play. And then your friends are like, all right, well, let's play funeral. And they throw on some really sad music or something. Let's play funeral. And you're like, I don't want to play that either. Yeah, have you ever seen a kid who won't play unless they're in charge? They won't play unless they're in control. They won't join everybody else. They won't be humble enough to fit in. They say, unless I'm, they say, unless I'm in charge, I'm not playing. And what is Jesus saying to these skeptics? He's saying, I mean, we saw how Jesus treats the doubter. If you're looking for information or answers, Jesus gives answers. But to skeptics, they don't want evidence. He, but he challenges them to consider this, Make, right? Who, who's, the, who's the funeral? Well, Jesus says, John came to you eating no bread, drinking no wine. John was kind of the, the funeral. He emphasized sin and repentance. Out. What do they do? They write John off. They say, oh, he's crazy. He has a demon. And then Jesus comes, and he's emphasizing the grace and the celebration and the kingdom and the feast. And would the Pharisees join in on that one? No, we don't want to play. What do they say? You're a friend of sinners. And so Jesus is saying to the skeptics, you're kind of like the brat in the village who won't play unless they're in charge. Why does he tell them that? I think it's because when we're a skeptic, we think we're all about truth and evidence. And we sometimes have to ask ourselves if we're really having integrity. Are you really following the evidence where it would go? And maybe one reason you won't ask the hard questions is because you're scared of where they might lead. Because if you find out that Jesus really is the Son of God who really did rise from the dead, what might that mean for your life? What might it mean for your life? Well, it would mean a lot for your life. It would mean you'd need to bow your knee to him. So it'd be easier, right, just not to ask the questions. It'd be easier to stay over here, just be easy to be a skeptic. But in the end, Jesus is saying, maybe you're doing that because you want to be in charge and you don't want me as your king. Do you hear what he's saying? What a challenge. What a challenge to the skeptics. Maybe we need to hear that today. But here's the last group, the trusting group. The group that is turned to Jesus. And did you see who it was? Verse 29. When all the people heard this and the who? The famous tax collectors too. Some of us sin like Pharisees. Some of us sin like tax collectors. Some of us have a mix. Which one's yours? I've done both. Okay, so the tax collector runs from God with like uh, drug, sex, and rock and roll, right? He runs from God like like the mafia, like it's corruption, it's the bad sins, it's the newspaper sins, it's the, ooh, we all know those are bad. And so sometimes those kind of folks can, can, can feel like, you know what, well, there's no hope for me with Jesus anymore. I've burnt the bridges. I've, I've been too awful. I've been too wicked. And yet when Jesus came, he had such a different environment and atmosphere to him to where tax collectors are, are flooding to him. They're running to him, and he's happy to receive them. You see, the beauty of this, no matter what you've done or how badly you've messed it up or, or what horrible, awful things you've committed, the grace of Jesus is enough for us. Isn't that wonderful? And look what he says about him. 
What did they say? Verse 29, the tax collectors too, they declared God just. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, in their context, John the Baptist comes and says, if you want to be ready for God to come, you need to do what? Repent. And so to declare God just means to say, you know what, God? You're right. You're right. I believe you. You're right that I've sinned and I've rebelled and I, I need your forgiveness. You're right. I'm dependent on your mercy. You want me to get baptized? I'll get baptized. You're right. I believe you. I follow you. They admitted their sin. They humbled themselves. They repented. Did you see what uh, the Pharisees called Jesus kind of as an insult or slander? Do you remember what it was? Verse 34. He's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of sinners. They meant it as an insult. I'm inclined to think Jesus took it as a compliment. How many of you, you really like that tag on Jesus? Friend of sinners. I'm digging that title. Because guess what I am? I'm a sinner, and I need him to be my friend. You keep reading through the Gospel of Luke, and you'll see just how much of a friend Jesus is to sinners. Come on, if you're a sinner like me and Jesus is your friend, what do you do for you? He went to a cross for my sins. I deserve God's justice for what I've done and what I haven't done. I don't, I don't belong in his presence, but Jesus went to the cross for me in my place. Could I have a better friend than Jesus? Would live a perfect life for me, die on the cross to take upon God's judgment that I deserve, rise from the dead, and if I trust him and turn myself to him, I get everything that he's done for me. Forgiveness, a new identity, meaning, hope, and purpose. What a friend to sinners. Well, what does that have to do with what we're doing today? Well, baptism, what we do with the water, is an outward sign of this inward reality in our hearts. When you trust yourself to Jesus, it's like the old life of rebellion, the cynic, the one running from God, your self-righteousness, all that. That old life dies with Jesus on the cross, and it's that idea of getting wet or going under, water symbolic for judgment. But then because you've trusted to Jesus, you're united to him in everything that he's done. And so when you come up or when you dry off, that's symbolic for the new life you have as a child of God. And we here at Fountain, Fountain of Life believe that baptism is a, is a symbol for that reality that makes us who we are as God's people. God has worked in our hearts to bring us to himself. And baptism is this picture that shows that. We know that God wants us to give that symbol to our children. So, so you know who the tax collectors are in this story? It's us as a community. What are we saying to God as we celebrate baptism? We're declaring him just. We're saying to God, you're right. You're right. You are holy and awesome. We have sinned. We need Jesus and what he's done. And we look to him and him alone to make us right with you. You're right. That's what Rob and Danica are doing today as we baptize Ford. They're saying, God, you're right. And we want Ford to know that. And we're marking him with the sign that he's part of your people. God, you're right. We're vindicating what God is doing. And look at how Jesus responds to people who do that. Look at verse 28. 
I tell you, Jesus says, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, do you see this next part? The one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So just put this in your theological pipe for a moment. Smoke it. How awesome was John in Jesus' opinion? Greatest prophet of what we call the Old Testament. The greatest. And yet he says, the least in my kingdom is greater than he. So we're saying that in some way, even, even we here today, humble us, are greater than John the Baptist somehow? Why? It's because John, John as, a, as, a, as a bridge builder between old and new, he could only preach repentance. But we have so much more than just, I've sinned and I'm sorry. We have Jesus himself. We have Jesus himself and all he is and all that he has done for us. And, and you realize if you trust Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you repent and turn and trust Jesus, you are counted an heir of the kingdom. You are united to Christ. You are adopted as a child of God. God is yours and you are his. And it can't get greater for you than that. Jesus celebrates those who turn to him. Look at verse 35. Wisdom is justified by all her children. The Bible likes to personify God's wisdom, his ways, his thoughts. And those who come to God and who trust him, we say, yeah, that's right. We trust you. We believe you. And what are we called? God's children. Can you get better than that as an identity? God's beloved child through Jesus Christ. So I just want to ask us one more time, where do we fit in this morning? What would Jesus say to us? Maybe you have honest doubts. Good, that means you're alive. You're thinking in this broken world. What are you going to do with those? I hope you'll seek truth. And if, I'd love to talk to you about anything like that if you want. Seek truth. Jesus will respond to you with evidence and encouragement. Maybe you're a skeptic today. Maybe you're a cynic. You're like... I, it wouldn't matter. Nothing could happen that would make me believe. Hey, just, just check yourself. Jesus would say, just check yourself. Is this really about evidence for you, or do you want to be your own God in charge of your life? Maybe you're not asking because you don't want to find the answers. Just check yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. But finally, he's saying, even to the tax collector among us, even to the Pharisee among us, if we turn to him, how does he respond to us? He celebrates us. He forgives us. He adopts us. He welcomes us. And so it's in that spirit of celebration and rejoicing in God's love for us in Christ, we are going to be like these tax collectors and declare God just as we celebrate this baptism. We're saying, God, you're right, and you have saved us in Christ, and you will save us in Christ, and we love you, and we trust you, and we're glad to be yours. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.